Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Amen. If you've been here for a little while, you've heard us announcing a opportunity called Soul Cafe that's coming up this Saturday. We're praying that you would invite your friends to that, but we really do pray that it would not just be an invitation that comes out of our own efforts, but rather we want to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. It's with that in mind that I would encourage you all to join our prayer call 6.30 in the morning. I want to challenge us. We average about 60 folks on that call. I want to challenge us to have 100 folks on the prayer call this week. Now, um, last uh, service when I said that, it was a, it was a slight amen because people didn't want to be held accountable. So they were like, that is some, somebody should pray at that early in the morning. But, but I, do, I really do believe that if we want to see lives transformed, we have to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. And so uh, this week, maybe you're, maybe you're not an early riser, but this week, would you set aside time, set your alarm, and that you would get up and, and be on that app early in the morning, interceding for lives to change and interceding that friends, your friends, would come to that time. Amen? Amen. Well, we are in the book of Acts, and we've been talking about God making a move, the move of God, and how God moves on the earth. And for some reason, he chooses us to do that. You know, I... I, um, when I was a kid, I, and this is one of the bigger highlights in my life, I was always chosen first for kickball, and I didn't want to brag or boast, but uh, that was one of the big highlights of my life. I would love to see the people back up when I used to come up. Anybody have that experience? Amen. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. It was really cool getting chosen, right? Chosen to play sports, tug of war. I always got chosen first. Praise God, I've always been a big kid, right? Uh, dodgeball, chosen first. That was a big deal. Relay races, not so much. Praise God, right? They, didn't, they did not choose me. Athletics is like this weird moment when people are choosing teams. And when I became a captain, I would make choices. And you're like sizing people up on who you would choose. You're looking at who's the strongest, who's the biggest, who's the fastest, who's the tallest. Because you just want to win, amen? It is interesting to think that if you were trying to change the world, as it currently is, who would you choose? I presume you would choose the smartest, the most attractive, the most influential. It's interesting when when an entertainer comes to know the Lord, we're like, oh, now the world's gonna change. Because we naturally think the more platform you have, the more God can use you. And it's interesting because when you look in the book of Acts, This is about, this book starts off with about 100 people. They are uneducated, untrained, unskilled, no influence, no power, no finances. They are an oppressed minority and they have no social connections to make change in the Roman Empire. And yet God chose this, hundred, this, this group of about 100 folks. Within two centuries, they will have changed the world. When you look at how God chooses, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 28, God chose what is foolish in the world 
to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. When God wants to make a cho- when God wants to make a move, he chooses broken people that will be dependent on him. Not the strong, the weak. Not the independent, but the dependent. Because what God wants to do is God wants to take the obviously powerless and place his power in them. So that they know that couldn't have been them, that must be God. God is making a move in businesses, in schools, in homes, and in neighborhoods. And what he's first going to do is he's going to make his move in people. And then from there, he's going to make his move in the streets, in the business. He's going to make his next move. In this book, right in the beginning of the chapter one, Jesus is going to tell his disciples, In Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you, you small group, you powerless people, you will receive power. And it's very interesting what Jesus says from that point. He says, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, I want you to notice something. Jesus could have easily said, you will be my witnesses throughout the earth. And he could have created the same vision and the same idea. But there is a reason why he named specifically those areas. If you remember, just 40 days before, Jesus had been killed where? In Jerusalem. And so for the disciples, the last place they want to go is to where their Savior had been murdered. In many ways they would have felt unprotected to witness of someone that just got killed. When you think about Judea, that is, I think we have a map here, Judea is the larger region. And in the larger region of Judea, Jesus had been rejected there too. And then when you think of Samaria, Samaria, there are ethnic differences. Those are the last people they would ever want to be witnesses to. So what is Jesus doing? Jesus is immediately telling the disciples, this kingdom, the kingdom of God, will be diverse and expansive, even though we generally choose comfort and sameness. From the very beginning, we will be boundary breaking. From the very beginning, we're going to go to the places you don't want to go. So why does God choose the people he wants to choose? Because I know you'll be fully dependent on me. If I choose you, you will go where I want you to go. You will be dependent on me. It's important for you to know this morning as we preach on the book of Acts, if we're longing to see the power of God, then we're most likely going to have it connected to our discomforts. You have plans, so does God. You have desires, so does God. You have a vision, God has a vision. Let's make sure they're not two different visions. We want to be aligned with God's plan and we must listen to where he wants to go. So think about this. Jesus is about to depart and the first thing he says to them in in his departure is, y'all are going to be my witnesses. And I'm sure they were like, where? And he says, Jerusalem. They're like, oh, snap, we got to go back. Judea, oh man, that's worse. Samaria, oh my God. And they're... But, but listen, the power is connected to the witness. So we do not want to just witness without the power. So we must decide, I'm going to be uncomfortable for your power, for your praise, and for your delight. 
Here in the book of Acts, we're going to see the Holy Spirit do something powerful here in Jerusalem that we had not seen. Side note, I do want to say that I think we need to take time to pray for what's happening in Jerusalem right now. The, the current crisis that's there, a lot of history there, um, regardless of how we view it, um, there are people dying that are made in the image of God. And so we want to be praying for that situation. Acts chapter 1 we saw in verse eight, 10 days before, Jesus says, you're gonna have the Holy Spirit come upon you. Well, this is 10 days later. And what we're seeing 10 days later is the movement of the Holy Spirit and it happens during Pentecost. Let me read for you Acts chapter two, verse two. The scripture reads, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, most likely the upper room where Jesus gave the imagery of communion in verse two. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. First, I wanna deal with the background of Pentecost and then I wanna deal with what's happening in the room. If you wanna understand Pentecost, you have to understand there are essentially three dynamics, three meanings that are happening with Pentecost, a historical meaning, a spiritual meaning, and a physical meaning. Historically, the word Pentecost is transliterated to the word 50. So literally, Pentecost just means 50. It's essentially talking about 50 days after the Passover. These 50 days after the Passover are celebrating a, and a commemorating a new harvest. Pentecost was a picture of the barley harvest coming in, uh, or rather the wheat harvest. During Passover, they would have the barley harvest. So essentially, it's the imagery of new crops, new harvest. They would actually call it the season of first fruits. What they're actually celebrating is we're about to see some new crops in our lives, and they're really excited about that, and they're celebrating unto God the, the, the work that they're seeing. Now, understand, when you connected what's about to happen, this new harvest, Physically, in agriculture, is also a picture of a new harvest of people God is about to have. Secondly, spiritually, the Jews, when they celebrate the Pentecost moment, they're not only celebrating a harvest, but they're celebrating this is the moment where Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the tablets. They're celebrating the introduction of the law. So they would be commemorating Moses. But in many ways, what God is doing is he's showing the picture of how the Holy Spirit will now be a continuation of the law. Just like there was a law that Moses had externally, the Spirit of God will now be a law on our hearts internally so we can follow God, not by a law outside, by a law inside by the work of the Spirit. But thirdly, Pentecost had a physical reality. Pentecost was the best time to have a celebration, just in terms of the weather. So because of that, Pentecost was the most populated feast of any other feast. Jerusalem would have the most people that it would have at any other time. Just like during the summer, we decide that's when I'm gonna travel the most, this would be similar. So people would come from 20 miles away just to be in Jerusalem for this feast. So understand what God is doing. There is a celebration of what's happened in the past historically because there's a new harvest coming. There's a celebration spiritually because of the law, but there is a crowd, the biggest crowd possible. And God is about to show off with the biggest crowd he could possibly have. It's the day of Pentecost. Jerusalem is packed. 
tons of people in the city. But yet there's people in this house waiting on the Holy Spirit, 120 of them. And it says, verse 2, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Now, saints of God, let's use our biblical lenses, all these theologians in the room. Look here. Was wind coming in the room or sound? Sound. It's the sound of wind. So it's not like they had this big physical thing that happened first. What happened is there, there's a sound and the sound fills the entire room. As the sound fills the entire room, can you imagine being in the room and all of a sudden you're waiting on the Holy Spirit and you hear this deafening sound and it's filling up the room? I want you to notice something. Jerusalem is packed and God is about to do something. But instead of having the sound be in Jerusalem, the sound is just in that house. And the sound fills the house because there are people seeking God's face and God says, I want to move there before I move in the city. The sound happens in the house because what God is doing, he's going to stir up his people to see what God is going to do and then he's going to make his move. Amen? Understand what God is wanting to do. I could unpack that a little bit more, but I just want you to see God's first move is in the house, not in the city. And just like in here, if God wants to do something in New York City, the first thing he's going to do is get his house in order. The sound first will be in here before it's out there. And so that's what we've got to anticipate. I want to see the move of God first in me, then in the house, then in the city. And that's how he moves. And that's how God chooses to move. Me and you wouldn't do that. We would just make a landscaping move. Millions of people in Jerusalem, I want to talk to the 120 of people that are talking to me, that are seeking me and seeking my face. He first moves in the house. Then in Acts chapter 2 verse 3, after this sound fills the room, it says, divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. Well, what a dynamic moment. First, they hear this sound. Can you imagine it? Then all of a sudden, they start seeing flames come from the sky, and the flame doesn't just entertain them or attract them. The flame rests on each of them individually. Understand that God could have just had flames come down corporately, but he has a flame for each person in the room, dividing up individually. What God is doing is he is showing that this was not only a demonstration of the spirit, but this was a distribution of the spirit. It's as if God, I remember uh, we went to one of those like water world, you know what I'm talking about? Like those big, uh, yeah, like splash garden mountain. Y'all know what I'm talking about. A water park, a water park. We went to one of those water parks and you know, and you know, they have like those big buckets that come down and it splashes everybody and you know, but this is, God could have done that. He could have just had the spirit come down on everybody, but he decided to almost give everybody a little cup to know that you got it too. You see, this is what's happening. This distribution is much like what we talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says that all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. God is not just creating a group experience. He's creating individual assignments. And he is distributing his gifting so that everyone in there would know 
that the fire rested on me. This past week, Mark led, our worship leader Mark led the prayer call. Did a fantastic job, amen. There were times when he was leading in the Zoom chat that people put little fire emojis. Like, ooh, say that, Mark. Ooh, ooh, he's praying. He's praying now. There are times when I'll, I'll preach and my wife will send me a fire emoji. I'm like, mm, thank you, God. <laughs> and then that good feeling if you've done something and someone says, hey, yo, that was fire. There are times where people have just said, flames. You know what I'm talking about? El Fuego. You know, what I'm saying is sometimes the believer will do something so impressive that the first thing we think of is fire. And what I'm trying to tell you is one of these believers, we're going to see in the next, in the next part of this chapter, one of these believers named Peter is going to stand up and he's going to preach a sermon and 2,000 people are going to give their life to Christ. And I'm sure out of the 120 believers in that room, 119 after that sermon go, hey, yo, that was fire. <laughs> but they also know that the same fire that rested in Peter rested on them. You see, one of the things that can happen is you don't realize that you got the fire too. You see, some of you all don't realize you have been apportioned and distributed the Holy Spirit just as powerfully as the person you follow on YouTube, just as powerfully the person that you subscribe to. We've got to understand, never be so impressed with gifting that you forget you have the same fire. The same fire, and you have your own unique thing, and the thing that you do, nobody else can do. Your thumbprint is not like my thumbprint, but we got the same fire. Your background is not my background, but we got the same fire. Some of you got some administrative gifts, el fuego. So, so, some of you have some worshiping gifts, flames. See, you can do what you can do, but you can't do it like the other person does it. But you got to celebrate the fire in you, not rep repetition of what someone else does. We, we, we've got to allow ourselves to be a voice and not an echo and allow the Holy Spirit to uniquely be in you and you are not like anyone else. Same fire. Not the same gifting. Not the same background. Same fire. That's why he individually distributes himself. Great job, Peter. But what happened in Peter happened in me. Know this. This moment was fire, but it, they were fire looking like tongues. And then all of a sudden, something miraculous happens in chapter two, verse four. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse four is a much contended verse. The concept of tongues is often... Um, creating division in the body of Christ. But it's interesting because all we have to do is look at verses that clearly tell us what's happening here and what's happening in other books of the Bible. In Acts chapter two, verse four, we have a unique moment where the power of God comes down through the power of the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire come down, and all of a sudden they begin to speak in other tongues, in other words, languages. The Greek word glossolalia, we understand it's languages. But interestingly enough, 
After this moment, we never see a moment in the New Testament where someone begins to speak in another language and the audience there understands that language. This is the only time. What we do see is we see other moments where the Holy Spirit changes a person's life and they speak in other tongues. In Acts chapter two, verse four, we see them speaking in tongues. In Acts chapter 10, verse 46, through, through preaching, they begin to speak in other tongues. In Acts 19, verse six, the laying on the hands, there were tongues. But we have to understand that in the book of Acts, tongues functions as a sign for the nations and for the Jews in particular to realize that God is making a powerful move. So what were the Jews looking for? Signs and wonders. So God does a sign and he uses tongues as a sign. So just keep that, pause that in your brain to understand in the book of Acts, tongues functions as a sign for the people around them. But when we look in, in 1 Corinthians, the only book that tongues is mentioned, we see that tongues operates as a gift. So here's what we have to understand. Tongues in the book of Acts is used as a historical moment. It's only mentioned in one other book. That means that when he's talking to the people in Galatia, or he's talking to the people in Ephesus, or he's talking about Philemon, he never mentions tongues. Why? Because tongues is not evidence of having the Holy Spirit. Tongues is evidence of a historical moment. Secondarily, it is a gift. It is also not evidence of the filling of the Spirit because in Ephesians 5.18, it talks about the filling of the spirits. It talks about psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. It talks about submitting one to another. So it never mentions tongues. So I don't see why we say that tongues is a filling. of. Let's, let's make a fight for us to submit to one another. That's the Holy Ghost, right? That, but boy, we'll change the world if we could submit to one another. I don't know why we think just tongues is the sign when it is clearly, clearly what God is saying is it's when the Spirit of God controls you, you do things you would not do on your own. That's what the filling of the Spirit is. So tongues is not a sign of salvation. It is not necessarily a sign of salvation, but it is a gift. And in this gift, in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, present-day tongues functions as a gift, and we see in 1 Corinthians 14 and 2, the scripture says, for one who speaks in a tongue, now just read this as it states, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men. What does that mean? It means not to people. But to God. What's that mean? It means to God. It means that tongues is primarily vertical. For no one understands him. That means people around don't understand you. He utters mysteries in his spirit. So literally what's happening is when you are praying and speaking in tongues, you, are vert you have a vertical posture towards God. I'll come back to that in a second. He also says in verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So he literally says, Paul, the apostle, says, I ain't talking to people and I don't even know what I'm saying. He, I did did, did y'all just read that too? Okay. So, so what's happening is tongues is meant for vertical worship and it is this intimate moment with God. I'll uh, explain that in a second. But what's happening here is in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul's concern is that the church is constantly praying in tongues, but when new believers or, or, or non-believers walk in, they don't know what's going on. So he's saying, I'm glad you have a vertical posture, but you're missing your horizontal opportunity. 
Because remember that this is when all your gifts are meant to glorify God and God is not trying to create a cult. He's trying to create a movement. Right. So so there's a sense in which we've got to be prepared for outsiders. So here what he says in first Corinthians 14 and 13 He says, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Why is he saying that? He's saying, if you're around people, pray that you can interpret so they know what you're talking about. Or they're just going to stare at you being like, man, that's that's amazing. You guys are amazing. But I'm I'm now an outsider to your insider language. And this is now, if this wasn't in the Bible, I would believe that you would think I wrote it. You would think I made this up. Verse 23. Paul the apostle says, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? I did not make that up. Paul wrote that. Paul literally is saying, if a non-believer walks in, he is going to be confused and not brought into the community. So pray for interpretation so that outsiders can join the club. Understand that tongues... Primarily, though, is for vertical connection with God, worship. I, I was telling the first service, you know, I pray in tongues. You can see people go, oh, you're one of them. I didn't know. This explains something. No, I, I, I pray in tongues. It's something that God, you know, introduced to my life um, early on in my walk. And in praying in tongues, what I have found is, is that one of the things that we get caught up in in prayer is language. Literally trying to get our words together. And one of the things that we have to understand is the most authentic communicators are the least articulate. Those are babies. Babies are the most authentic communicators because they don't care if you understand what they're saying. They just, I I am hungry, and and you're going to have to figure out what I mean. Am I sleepy? Am I hungry? You figure it out, but I'm going to tell you, and and what's happening is they're just emoting. They're not worried about putting it together. How does it come across? And understand, before you had words, you still had meaning to how you felt. And so what tongues does is it offers this opportunity for you to be in an intimate, childlike space with God and not get caught up with trying to put your words in a sentence, but rather it gets you caught up in putting your words up to the Lord and even words that aren't even words. That's how deep it is. And I find it fascinating that, you know, I know it's one of the big jokes that we make in culture about praying in tongues, but I, I would say that oftentimes when you have it out, when you have out, the, a lot of those people that make fun of it is because they've seen churches just do it and no one's ever explained what's going on. No one has invited them in. Or we've, we've elevated tongues without elevating character. I have no time. <laughs> but tongues is primarily a vertical thing with God. It's a worship thing. It's a closet thing. It's an intimate thing. It's a you and God thing. And so understand that what happened in Acts is different than what happens in 1 Corinthians. God wants to put himself on display. He wants to use people. And so here in Acts 2, I want you to go back and remember what we just saw. Acts 2, verse 2. 
Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And then now jump down to verse 5 and 6. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And this sound, and at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them in his own language. Now, I want you to understand. Go back, go back to the top of verse 6, and it says, at this sound. What sound are they bewildered by? It's not the sound of heaven. It's the sound of the people. And what happens is there's a sound that comes from heaven. And when it hits the heart of the people, there's a sound that comes from the people. And that sound was all these different languages. Verse, Verse seven, and they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? So notice, they just look at them and say, these are Galileans. They physically could tell. We we know from Peter that Galileans had an accent. So they probably can hear their accent as they speak in other tongues. But they know this must be God because these people cannot know my language. Verse eight, and how is it that we hear each one in our own native language? Look, Parthians and Medes and and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phygra and and Pamphylia and Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. Now here's what they were all saying. We hear them telling in our own languages, in our own tongues, the mighty works of God. And here, Luke writes down 16 different languages or tribes there. And in other words, this one group of people could not understand corporately 16 different languages or tribes. There must be a sign from heaven happening. And the sign from heaven begins the church of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God comes down with a sound. The sound fills the home. The people are filled up with God. And then these people begin to speak in other languages. But here's church where I think we often miss this text. We make much of the fact that they're talking in a different language, but we lose the fact of what they were saying. Look what it says. We hear them telling in our own language what? The mighty works of God. A sound comes from heaven, the spirit of God hits the room, and what's the first thing they doing? They start praising God in worship, and they worship him for his mighty works. The language is is a sign, but the power of the Holy Spirit also functioned in the worship, where they began to declare what God was doing. It went from heaven to the house to the city. Church, I believe that the Holy Spirit in that moment created this dynamic moment where Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit happens. They begin to witness to all these different nations. But their witness, what they declared 
was who God is, his mighty works. Understand that witnessing is telling the world who God is. It is declaring his works. Now, I would love it if when we worship, we all could just pop into different language when we worship. Wouldn't that be awesome? It would be lit every Sunday. But here's what I believe is the essence of the Spirit coming down. The Spirit and the power of the Spirit comes down and they begin to lift up worship to God. And they begin to tell God back to him who he is to them. Their first witness wasn't horizontal, it was vertical. And it was declaring God's mighty works. And, they were, and then the people heard the languages, but the languages were filled with praise. I believe, church, that one of the things that we get lost in, in worship, in having the spirit move, is worship, our opportunity to worship, is an opportunity to declare who God is to a witnessing world. Before I come up every Sunday, we welcome visitors. And we're saying we expect outsiders to be inside. And one of the things I think we've lost as a church is we have come back together after the pandemic for about a year and a half now. And a lot of people that we once had are gone. And all the people here are new. And I mean, if you've been here a year, you are essentially an old school Bridge Church member. And what's happened is, I think because of that, many of us who have seen God move in our life are waiting for a culture of worship to be built. In other words, we're waiting to see other people declare the mighty works of God. And I believe when we worship, those songs are not meant to be the essence of our worship. They're actually meant to be a guide to worship. Because there's a difference between singing worship songs and actually worshiping. And here's what I wanna say, and I wanna say this gently to us as your pastor. I personally don't understand how you can go to a concert and scream for a human, but come in here and mumble to God. I just don't, I just don't understand how you can do that. I don't understand. I don't see how you can go to a stadium and scream for humans, but then come in here and mumble to God. I just don't know how you can do that because, because none of those people have done anything in your life. If anything, they've taken stuff from you. And what I'm, what I'm saying is, I think as a culture, I think we've slipped into being an entertained church instead of the ancient church. The, the ancient church was a church that saw signs and wonders and they saw signs and wonders because they could only be dependent on God. But I think the, the, our church can be an entertained church and we're dependent on the people up here to sound good and we're waiting for the right song to be filled up and say, man, this is really good. Now I get it, when we first come in here, we're tired, we gotta stretch, we gotta do some whatever we gotta do and we gotta get warmed up. But what I'm saying is it's a sacrifice of praise. We've taught on this, we've tried different things. I think the only word I know is repentance. That's the only word I know. Because the reality is we are gonna have Soul Cafe on Saturday. There'll be new people here. Do you know how you worship tells them who God is? How you worship tells them who God is.
And even as I'm saying this, there might be a disruption in your heart to say, well, you know, you know what I'm saying? You're just, you're just trying to create a, an atmosphere. Exactly. 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 An atmosphere that's vulnerable. That's what's uncomfortable. You have to get uncomfortable and you have to be vulnerable because I'm not speaking to everyone in this room. I'm only talking to the people that have seen God move powerfully in their life. That's the only people I'm talking to. If you're still waiting for God to move, then you, I expect you to be like, I'm, well, this song is new to me. But if you've seen God move in your life, then we should come in this place and not wait for the song, we should give God our best and give him a shout of praise. This, and, and so we can't pump you up to that. That's gotta be a decision. And so what we need are people who decide to create a culture of worship in this room. We have a worship team, but we also should have worshipers. And when we have worshipers, we decide I am gonna be in the room and I'm gonna come and I am gonna give my heart to worship because there's a sound that comes from heaven. And then it fills the home. And then it goes to the city. And so for us, this afternoon, I want to do something. I want us to create an atmosphere of worship. And I want you to give a sacrifice of praise. And here's what I want to do. I want to break the entertainment culture in our church. I want to break that yoke. And it's only going to be broken by people deciding I I'm gonna give God my best in this room. I wonder if you'd stand with me. We hope this message was encouraging to you. We invite you to send us an email at info at bridgechurchnyc.com so we can hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Our handle on all our social media platforms is at BridgeChurchNYC. Our website is BridgeChurchNYC.com. If you're in the New York City area, we would love to see you on a Sunday. Our services are at 1030 a.m. and noon on Sundays at 345 Adams Street in downtown Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope to see you soon.